0: All right so if if you're like me on this this area this this topic and you live in southwest Florida there has definitely been a time where you're at a red light, you're in a gas station, you're in the parent pickup line at school and someone pulls next to you in a big old truck with a beautiful boat attached to the back of it with fishing poles standing up towards the back and there's just this song that wants to come out of your mouth of like, why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? It like, I, I felt that compulsion because I'm a guy, I like to get out on the water, I like to fish, I grew up around fishing, I come from a commercial fishing family. And so I know what fishermen are like. I know what it's like to be out on the water. And if you aren't that type of person yet, when I talk about fishing, there's a couple things that I want you to understand. First of all, if you don't go fishing on accident, like it just doesn't really happen that way. If you're going fishing and you're serious about it, the night before is when your fishing trip starts, isn't it, fishermen? Right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to make sure the reels are working properly. You got to make sure that the boat looks good. You got to make sure that you have any of the tackle you need, if there's any bait that you need, or you got to plan where you're going to get your bait in the morning. That the, ga- the boat is all gassed up, and then the fishing day, it starts long before the sun comes up. Like, at least 5 a.m., we're getting the boat ready, getting it attached, getting out. We want to be at the boat ramp by sun up so that we can get the maximum amount of time spent fishing on the water, because when you're fishing, you will spend a good solid eight hours of preparation for that one little time where you might have a fish on the hook. Like, you get five minutes of actual fishing in a full day of fishing, is usually what it works out to. And somewhere the finances have to make sense of like, well, we're gonna save so much money because all the fish that we catch, we're gonna eat, and sure, we spent $50,000 on the boat, and sure, we spent $800 on the poles, and sure, we spent $400 on gas, but we got four fillets of fish for free. It makes sense in there somehow. And, and, and at least for me, even if we go out fishing and we catch nothing, on the first day. you And we spent eight hours doing it, three hours cleaning the boat afterwards. Paul, do you want to go fishing tomorrow? Yes, I do. Caught nothing all day, doesn't matter. Like I want, I want to get out there because it's just, it's something that I enjoy and I understand the work that comes with it. I understand. And so you have to have all of that in perspective for you because I know you've seen pictures of people holding up fish and you're like, Why? Why? Like, it's not a child. It's not even a pet. It's a fish. They have just spent all day working for that fish. And so, when you catch a fish, and I got a picture of me holding a fish from one of our fishing trips. When you catch a fish, you hold it up proudly. And you hold it up further away from your body so it looks bigger than it really is. And you show that fish off because of all the work that went into catching the fish. There's so much that leads up to that moment. And there's so many maybe poor theological prayers that are prayed, God, if you would just send me a fish, like just any fish, just don't let this day be wasted. There, there's something about fishing that connects so much in because when Jesus was looking and picking his disciples, there was something with him that said, I wanna I want to use the fishermen. Like that, that. that's part of who I wanna use. And growing up in a commercial fishing family, I wanna tell you, those men work hard. Those men are diligent. They They get done what they need to get done. But when it comes to academics, Jesus probably could have done better. I mean, there there was other options out there. There was people who were following rabbis. There's people who went through religious education. There's people who came from wealthy families. But there was something in his plan that when he looked at the people that he wanted to call towards him, he said, I, wanna, I, I want these fishermen over here, these guys who are pulling for the net. I want to show show you in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 18, going through verse 20. It says, and we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother, Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, Within our culture, we don't talk about being fishers of people very often because I think the illustration as you picture it can be a little bit terrifying and maybe a little bit strange of like trying to hook a human, but we do talk about being followers of Jesus. We hear the term to follow him often and we see other places where he calls people to follow him and I believe that we have separated the concept that Jesus connects in here of follow me and I will make you fishers of men and we have gotten very comfortable in just staying within the category of following Jesus because I believe our church in this time of history has kind of resigned to this concept of I follow Jesus and it's a very private thing. I follow Jesus, and maybe I don't even go to church, but I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins, but I live my faith in isolation. And I want to tell you that if you are a follower of Jesus, it is impossible, it is impossible for you to live out the teachings of Jesus in isolation. You have to be in community. You have to be connecting with your neighbors. You have to be seeing people with the heart and the eyes that God sees them with. People matter. You cannot live out love your neighbor without your neighbor, right? When Jesus teaches, whatever you do for the least of these, it's as if you did this unto me. That means we have to be connected to and caring for the least of those among us. To look at the teachings of Jesus, it's going to continue to point us towards moving towards other people. And if you have bought into the lie that I will nurture my relationship with God through academic study of scripture, but completely skip on the application of actually interacting with other people, you have bought into a false gospel and a false relationship with God. Your relationship with God should be motivating and moving you towards other people with the way that God sees them, with the way that he loves them, doing the things that you were called to do to serve other people. Because Jesus connects it right here as he calls the two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and and his brother Andrew. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He'll make you fishers of people. And like with fishing, you don't go fishing on accident. It doesn't just randomly happen in your day. And I'd say that for a believer in Christ, if you you are called to be someone who goes towards other people, and I don't believe that it just happens accidentally. I believe that there's a point, there's a decision that you reach in your life that says, I need to carry this message of the gospel to other people. Let, Let me show you in Romans chapter 10, chapter 10, starting at verse 9, the message of the gospel, very simply put, and if you've been around Gulfside at all, you've heard us share this passage before, and it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is good news right there. That, 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 That is the message that our world needs to hear, that when you When you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is beautiful news, isn't it? Like that, that is a message that our city needs to hear. But here's the thing. I think so many of us, we've heard that and we understand it, but I want to kind of, I want to be sensitive, but I also want to make sure that you see this. That as you hear that message of the gospel that might be really familiar with you, the concept of sharing that with someone else might be completely foreign to your idea of how you live out your faith. And my concern is if you have no compulsion, no push from the Spirit of God in your life to share that message with someone else, It teaches you something about you and your current understanding of your faith because this is a principle that I've seen true across the board, that if you find something that matters to you, you have this natural compulsion to want to share it with other people. If you find a great new steak restaurant in Cape Coral and the prices are unbelievable, you get the best cut of steak for $15. You're letting some people know about it, right? If you find a gas station that is selling gas for less than $2 a gallon right now. You are screaming from the corners, people gotta know. Like there's cheap gas available here. If you find a way to save money, you share it with people. If you found a great deal on cars, a dealership that is selling great cars, you share it with people. If it matters to you, you share it. And this is my concern. There are people who've grown up around the message of the gospel, but it's never meant anything to their heart. It's never changed anything in their life. And so they've never felt any compulsion to share it with anyone else. And this is what I believe it shows you that if you're a person who's been forgiven much and you'd say, you know, I know my life before Christ in that moment where I understood the gospel and I placed my faith and my trust in it. I thought I was only dealing with heaven and hell, but when I gave God my heart, he changed and he healed so much in me and he gave me such an amazing call and he gave me a gift to live that calling out. It changed everything for me, so I can't help but tell people about the gospel because it did so much in my life. My concern is there's so many people who've been around the church for so long, the gospel has never done anything in their life and they don't even recognize that they haven't been transformed by it that they haven't been changed by it. And so it's natural that they don't have any passion about sharing it with anyone else. And if you do some, some recounting in your life, I believe that some people should have some question marks that pop up and, and ask themselves, have I really, with my own heart, trusted in God? Have I put my faith in Him? Or have I just been around it for a long time? There's people who can tell you all about the gospel, but they've never personally placed their faith in Christ. And what I found time and time again is that That it is good, that it is effective, that it is powerful, that it does cause transformation. And when you begin to authentically live your life for God, he's going to begin to work in your life, work in your marriage, work in your career in ways that it's like you just want to give him the glory. You want to talk about what he's done and you just find yourself saying, I need to tell people about how good he is. And I, I want to identify that when, when you are in that camp that says, you know, God's done so much. I just want to share. I want people to know what He can do, what He's able to do in your life. There is that beginning point where I think that you have to decide, where you say, I feel the compulsion to tell someone, and I got to step into it. It's, it's scary, but I got to figure out how. I think that there's that moment where you decide, where you decide, I got to get ready for for the fishing that's going to occur. I gotta get ready for the conversation that's gonna occur where I'm trying to draw people in to this relationship with Christ. And, and this is the important thing. It, it, the, the message, it's clear. If you openly declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And as important as this message is, as powerful as it is to, to transform lives, the, the chapter goes on in verse 14, right, right after where we were in 13. It says, but how can they How can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And so the question becomes, church, if this is the message, if there's no other name under heaven by which, by which men must be saved, then Jesus Christ alone. If, it, if this is the message that transforms lives, if this is the, the message that transformed your life, then how could we possibly be a church that is not going into our city and bringing this message? How could we be a church that is looking at our opportunities with our neighbors and saying, ah, oh, I gotta carry in groceries. I don't have time to stop for them right now. Oh, the, the trash cans need to be put away. Oh, I gotta walk the dog. I, 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 I wanna get to the coffee shop so I have some minutes to myself before my next meeting. I don't have time for them. We have to begin to look at these opportunities that we have as passing and as important as something that must be held onto. Say, so, well, Paul, I would like to tell them about Jesus, but, but, but you don't understand. Like I am enthusiastic about it, but I also feel like I've discredited myself in the past. I've gone through a failed marriage. I'm having problems at work. There's been problems with addiction. And and while I know that I should be telling you about the gospel, I I feel like I'm discredited from doing this. I wanna tell you, first of all, when you look at the scope of scripture, whenever God uses a man to accomplish his purpose, he uses an imperfect man. He uses people who've made mistakes. The disciples, they are a great illustration for you because they messed up all the time and Jesus never gave up on them and he will never give up on you. He will continue to call you out of your comfort zone to live for him and I'm gonna tell you, if you wanna break those addictions, break those chains, get out of those cycles of destructions you've been in, one of the best things you can do is begin to walk in obedience when you put something on your heart. If he tells you to talk to your neighbor and you say, but my neighbor heard me and my, my wife or my husband yelling at each other last night. How can I tell them about church? I'm gonna tell you, as imperfect as you are, you, God has perfectly positioned you next to them for a reason. And the struggles that you have will probably connect with issues that are going on in their house. And they don't need to come to a faith in you. They need to come into a faith with Jesus Christ. You don't have to be perfect for them. You don't have to be perfect to be an example to them. But as you walk with a perfect savior, he is going to push you into situations where he wants to use you as his witness. And we have to grab a hold and respond to these. And so the feeling of like we discredit ourselves, Jesus is not hung up on your past, he, but he is, he is certain that his promises are going to come to fruition in your life. He has promised that he will call you He has promised that he will equip you. He has promised that he will give you the gifts that you need to achieve the calling that he's put on your shoulders. And he is not concerned about what is behind, but he is concerned about what is ahead. And so stop allowing yourself to hit pause on pursuing the callings of God because what you feel like stops you from your past. One of the other objections that I think comes into our our fears and our senses when we're trying to talk with someone about what God has done in our life is we say, well, I don't know how to answer the questions. And when I tell them about God, they're going to ask me things about creation and about history and about how the Bible came together, and I feel like I don't have all the answers. And I want to tell you, you don't have to have all the answers. You are not called to be Jesus' attorney. You are called to be his witness, okay? And so you're going to tell your story of what God has done. You don't have to explain everything that has ever happened. You don't have to deal with the problem of good and evil in the world. You tell them what God has done in your life. We have a young lady in our church who, who came to Christ in the last couple of years and she's gotten involved here at Gulfside and she's very intelligent and she wanted to meet with me and her boyfriend as she first started coming here. And they, they were just peppering me with questions that I had to dig deep into my, my Bible college career of like trying, trying to remember the answers to these things because they were deep academic questions. And we met lots of times and she started coming to church and she, she was still, you know, asking me to meet again and asking questions about what I preached about, trying to connect the dots. And there was one Sunday, it was a Mother's Day Sunday, where, where she was here and, and we talked after the service and I was expecting, you know, another question that, that I, I'd have to like be, try to figure out the answer to and, and said, you know, how was church? And she said, I could feel it. I could feel it on Sunday. And there, there is a part of us coming to faith that is academic and reason, that, that questions that we need to find peace with the answers on, but there's also a part of it that's experience. And when you're inviting someone and you tell them about your experience and you tell them about their story, they're not gonna argue with you about your story. And your story really breaks into three very obvious pieces of your life before Christ, what it was like before you knew him, the moment and the time where you made a personal decision to follow him, and then the transformation and the change that it's meant for your life. As you share that with them and you share the experience, there's gonna be something within that moment that they connect with, that they understand, and they're not gonna argue with you about it. In fact, I love the way that First John chapter 5, verse 10 says this. It says, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, that you have within you this testimony that God has written. And you have this testimony that's powerful for you to share, and when you share it with someone else, it's going to be compelling. And I also like the way that Philip dealt with Nathaniel's objection when Philip was telling him about Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter one, verse 45. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, "We found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth." Nazareth!" exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. There, there's this truth of this, come and see, come and experience, come and feel, come and understand for yourself. Because, And I, and I love that, you know, Philip could have been like, well, here's, here's what the Old Testament prophets meant and what they said about the virgin birth and the woman who was never with a man would have, have a child, and here's you know, the line of David. He could have gone into the long, drawn-out argument about theology and prophecy from the Old Testament with Nathaniel, but that wasn't what was most effective. What was most effective was just get in the room with Jesus because when you get in the room with Jesus, his presence answers questions for you. And I'm going to tell you that as you engage in conversations with people about your relationship with God, or if you bring them to a gathering with other believers, or if you bring them to church, and they're there in the midst, and Scripture is being shared, and God is being praised, and and there's authentic worship happening, they're going to, through that experience, it's going to be part of the evidence that persuades them that God has a calling on their life. And so when you think about inviting someone and you have that fear rise up of, well, I don't know how to answer all their questions, Paul. Well, just be ready to say, I can't explain it all, but just come and see. Just come and experience it. God is so good that if you get together with his people, God is going to help answer those questions just from the experience of being there. And it's happened time and time again. And so part of the evidence, part of the answer to those fears that we have is that that we just need to invite people to come and experience God. We can trust him with our friends. We can trust him with our neighbors. He's gonna answer those questions. And I can begin to, to, to go you know, place after place. In Luke 19, when, in verse 10, when Jesus was having that interaction with Zacchaeus, and he said, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Time after time, place after place, we will see in scripture that Jesus is instructing. He is instructing. He is commanding. He is teaching the church to go towards those who are lost. In Matthew 28, 19, he says, therefore go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Time after time, it is as clear as day, we are taught to be a people who goes to the lost. And and I can teach that, but I I believe that there's part of the, the mental understanding of that, and there's part of that needs to be felt within our own heart. Because we can know that we should go, but we need to begin to ask God to transform the way that we see our city. We need to ask him to transform the way that we see our neighbors. We need to begin to see them with the heart that God has for them, because we can know that I need to invite them to church. We can know that I need to tell them about the gospel. We can know that, but we have to have a a united self where we both know and feel what is true. And so I, I want to tell you guys a, a parable, and this is not a parable you'll find in Scripture. This is a parable of Pastor Paul, not the Apostle Paul. Um, and, and I refer to this as the grandmother's parable. And I'll relate to, this, to some other Scriptures, but I want to tell you, what's important about this is the point that it makes, not the story itself. All right, And, and let, let's, let, let's think of a woman named Eliza who was born in 1920. Her father had just come home from World War I and probably made some promises during the war that said, when I get home, I'm gonna gonna honor God and my family. And so her father made sure their family was in church. And she grew up during that time where she learned to sew with her hands. She was active. They did not have AC in the house. They did not have televisions in the house. And she grew up in a very tight-knit family that loved the Lord. And so when she got married as a very young woman and her husband went off to war not long after and when God brought him back safely and they began to have children, they made the same promises that her parents made that we're gonna raise these kids up in church. And as they grew, all of her children walked with the Lord. And then as her children grew and they had children, she loved those grandbabies the way a grandmother should. You know what I'm talking about? Like like the grandmas who is like, they just can't get enough. Like they're stealing the baby all the time. Like as the kids are growing, she's buying them the stuff that they're not even supposed to have. But it doesn't matter because grandma loves them. I mean, like she's showing pictures of her grandkids absolutely everywhere that she goes. And she's like, do you see these amazing five beautiful grandbabies of mine? And he's like... Ma'am, license and registration, please. Like, like, it's not what I need. Like, she's just showing everybody because she just loves them so much. And as she rocks them as their babies, she is just praying over them, praying over their future. And she has these five grandchildren, and four of them walk with the Lord. And her heart is broken as this one child just is rejecting God from a young child through a teenager into his 20s, and he just will not have anything to do with God. But she loves him, loves him, loves him, and she prays for him, and she invites him for church, and she continues to bless him, continues to chase after him. And in 1990, when she's about, 1992, she's about 72 years old, and her life is winding down. And she has walked with the Lord through her life and her children walked with the Lord and four out of her five grandchildren have walked with the Lord. And, And she looks at them with joy and she says, I will see you again. But her fifth grandchild who has not walked with the Lord didn't even come because he doesn't want to face the situation. And her last breaths, she cries a tear for her one child that she, grandchild that she fears she will not see again. And if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to wrap this up. And this is the part of the parable where, just for my theologians in the room, we're going to contrast this against Luke 15 and 16, specifically in Luke 16 when Jesus is teaching the parable of of Abraham's bosom of of a person who has gone and been separated from God into into hell and cries out and just asks, "My, my five brothers, they're not following God, will you just send someone? And Abraham says, he has Moses and he has the prophets and he hasn't listened to them. They won't listen to anyone else that we send either. And some people's understanding of Hebrews 12, when it talks about us being surrounded of a great cloud of witnesses, it's talking about the witnesses that have gone before. And it gives the picture of us being in a race and the witnesses being around cheering us on. And and, and as well as that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And some Christians believe that the, history of believers who have gone before, look at our life and cheer. And I'm not necessarily arguing with that, but for the point of the teaching, I want you to think that way. And so Eliza in 1992 with one grandchild that she loves dearly, not following Jesus, she passes into complete healing, complete wholeness, complete celebration in her Savior's arms. And if she could look down at that grandchild that she so desperately wants to see no Jesus. She so desperately wants to see him in eternal life one day, and her opportunity to influence him has passed. But she looks at every believer who walks by his life, and she is just dying. She's screaming if she could, would you share the gospel with him? Would you invest your time in him? That is my grandbaby, and he is lost and he needs your help, and God perfectly positioned. He gave you a passion for the house that you'd buy, the opportunity to buy it, and he placed you right next to him. And time after time that you cross paths with him, and you hear his annoying motorcycle that pulls into the driveway, and you just want to go deflate the tires on it because it annoys you so much, but you miss all of the pain that's happening in his life, and you miss all of the opportunities to share of God's love because you only think about the annoyances while his grandmother is up in heaven with a breaking heart saying, what's someone just reach towards my son and whether you like the parable or not you theologically know this that her love for him is not even a blip on the radar of how big God's love for him is that as imperfect as the greatest human love is God's love is so much bigger and so much so much more tremendous and so when we see God's love through his eyes for our neighbors, for those who are lost, for those who are our enemies, we understand why Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you. This is the heart of God, that no matter how difficult they have been, the image of God is instilled upon them and they have a brief opportunity in their life to hear and respond to the gospel and those of us who claim we follow Jesus, we are called to be fishers of men people who are invitational people who will be thinking about it the night before saying tomorrow is my opportunity at work i get to be with joe i know he has gone through some difficult time he's been out of the church for 20 years and i am going to be looking for that opportunity to invite him to church to get him back in fellowship to see him move towards healing and wholeness We have to see our world through the lens of God's love. We have to be fishers of men. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has continued to paint the picture of what we think is impossible is possible with God. The person that you think is too far gone too far spiritually dead that God is able to work a miracle in their life and bring new life and restoration. Back to the book of Ezekiel where the prophet was sharing about a vision that he had that God brought him into a valley and the valley was just filled with dead dry bones and God said if you will speak to the bones I will bring new life to them. I will wrap them in flesh and tendons, and then once they they are restored physically, I will restore them spiritually as well, if you will speak to them. And then God said, and that is what my nation is right now. He said, my nation of Israel is like dry, dead bones. And as bad as you might think this city is, as bad as you might think things are in the house next to you, God would look at that and he said, I can bring that back to life. By Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection, there is power for restoration and healing and hope for any situation. But how will they know unless someone goes? And God has positioned you. And if you claim Jesus as Lord, I hope you choose to be a fisherman a fisher of men. I, I, I hope that your heart is burdened. I hope that your eyes will be changed towards the people around you because we have this brief opportunity and we have this important calling. May we be found faithful in it, Lord, I pray for a burden for us. I pray, I pray for interrupted sleep. I pray for recognition of this passing time that we would look at our neighbors with the love and affection and care that you have for them, that we would forgive trespasses, that we would forgive offenses, that we would let them go and we would no longer let those things be a hindrance for the sharing of your word and your love and your gospel. Would you burden our heart to reach towards those who are lost? Because someone once reached towards us and we have found no greater joy, no greater love than being invited into your family and into your presence. Thank you for the new life that comes to us in Jesus' name.